You are listening to Monocle's House View, first broadcast on the 2nd of September 2019 on Monocle 24. This is Monocle's House View, coming up today. What we have here is Boris Johnson almost daring the party to split in front of him in maybe the expectation that it won't. But the problem is, you know, how much is Boris Johnson bluffing and how much is he serious? He has staked his reputation and the future of his government on delivering Brexit by October the 31st. And he is surrounded by key figures who are prepared to smash conventions, break up the rules, do anything they possibly can to deliver that. The Brexit crunch is coming and the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson has turned on rebels in his own party. My guests Mary Dijewski and Carol Walker will discuss that and the day's other news, including Matteo Salvini may have made a miscalculation, but European nationalism is still on the ascent. And we ask if school strikes are a productive place for the young to develop their political will. Plus, the first option would see the so-called information campaign dressing up a no-deal Brexit as a no-big-deal operation, minimising risk and addressing only the most insipid of concerns. A new pro-Brexit campaign that doesn't seem designed to inspire confidence. I am Marcus Hippi. Monocle's House View starts now. Welcome to the show. I'm joined today by Carol Walker, a political analyst who spent a number of years covering Westminster for the BBC, and Mary Dijewski, who is a columnist for The Independent and The Guardian. Welcome to the programme. Let's start with the ongoing turbulence over Brexit in the UK. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has promised that Britain would leave the European Union do or die in the end of October. MPs will this week try to bring forward legislation against a no-deal in Parliament. However, Boris Johnson has delivered an ultimatum to rebel Tory MPs, warning they would be expelled from the party if they join forces with the opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn to halt a no-deal Brexit. Carol, if I may start with you, how exceptional is a threat like this? Well, it is quite an extraordinary threat to make, especially when you consider that many of the very senior ministers in government around Boris Johnson themselves rebelled against the previous administration. Um, we've had for many years lots of threats within the opposition Labour Party to expel people who are seen as opposing the leader Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and we've certainly had attempts in the past to try to bring Conservative MPs into line. But I think to issue threats like this against senior Conservative MPs including people like Philip Hammond, who was in the Treasury as Chancellor until a few weeks ago, David Liddington, who's been a senior minister for years, David Gork, likewise, Ken Clark, who's held almost all the great offices of state for the Conservative Party in successive administrations, is an extraordinary move. And I think that the danger for Boris Johnson is that it could backfire. And if anything, I think, harden the resolve of people to say that, look, 
this is about not just party politics. This is about the future of the country and the future direction and prosperity of the country. Exactly. Mary, do you think Boris Johnson really is willing to risk losing a number of MPs like this? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I agree with absolutely everything that Carol said. Um, But I would also add to that, which is that Boris seems to be um, actually gambling against a split in the Tory party. Now, ever since the Europe referendum, what have we had? We've had prophecies that the Tory party, one fine day, is going to split. And when Theresa May was Prime Minister, her whole effort, and quite a successful effort, it has to be said, seemed to be directed towards preventing a split in the Tory party. What we have here is Boris Johnson almost daring the party to split in front of him in maybe the expectation that it won't. But the problem is, you know, how much is Boris Johnson bluffing and how much is he serious? And the same argument goes for his approaches to Brussels. How much is he grandstanding? How much is he bluffing? How much is he actually prepared to deliver? Carol, you've been following Boris Johnson, obviously, for years. I wonder if you can give us any insights. What do you think? How much is he gambling? How much is he puffing? I think it is absolutely a huge gamble, but he has staked his reputation and the future of his government on delivering Brexit by October the 31st. And he is surrounded by key figures who are prepared to smash conventions, break up the rules, do anything they possibly can to deliver that. Um, Now, it does seem quite possible that the government will be defeated in Parliament this week. I think if that happens, we are heading towards a general election very soon. But it looks very clear that what Boris Johnson will try to do will be to ensure that that election happens after October the 31st so that he can say, look, I have delivered on that key pledge. We're out of the EU. Now I'm going to focus on the rest of this domestic agenda. And he's already been spraying money around local government, promising billions for schools and hospitals and promising people a better life beyond. So it's a huge gamble. Uh, But... In these hugely volatile circumstances, it's very difficult indeed to predict exactly what the course of events is going to be over the next few days, let alone weeks. Well, let's look at the position of the Labour Party then. The opposition leader, Jeremy Corbyn, has been criticised for his lack of enthusiasm in fighting against Brexit. Mary, are we now seeing Labour Party's stance shift gradually very last minute? Well, we've seen it sort of shifting over recent weeks um, since Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. Um, it sort of forced Jeremy Corbyn to take, um, if possible, um, a slightly more uh, a more precise and clearer stance than he's he's managed so far. Um, but in a way, sorry, but in a way, he is looking at a scenario that he has been asking for for the last year, which is for an early general election. Um, And the, the, the problem for him now is that if Boris Johnson actually moves towards a general election, he could be in a better position to fight it than Jeremy Corbyn. And all the figures now look practically reversed from where they were a year ago, in the sense that it would be much more dangerous for Jeremy Corbyn and 
and Labour to agitate for an election now than it is for Boris Johnson. I slightly disagree with Carol on one thing, um, which is on the possible timing of an election. I sort of think that Boris Johnson might want an election sooner rather than later, and that if it can possibly be shoehorned in to October before the final date, he could emerge with a with an overall majority that would actually ease the passage possibly to a Brexit with a deal. So I'm not completely convinced that he's going to aim for afterwards. His choice might very well be to gamble on having an election before and getting a deal. I think what's fascinating when you look at the Labour Party is Jeremy Corbyn's making a speech today and he's accusing Boris Johnson of an attack on democracy, uh, surrounding himself with a phony populist cabal. But Labour have been forced to change their tactics. They were originally going to try to force a vote of no confidence and try to install Jeremy Corbyn at the head of some form of interim government to prevent a no-deal Brexit. They've now realised that they've got no hope of getting Conservative MPs on side to vote for that. So they're going along with this at least initial idea of trying to seize control of the parliamentary timetable to pass a law which would require Boris Johnson to seek a further delay to Brexit if the UK is heading for leaving the the EU without a deal, as seems increasingly likely. That does appear to have rallied a lot of support from Conservative MPs as well as those from other parties. That's going to be the initial focus. He's still saying today we need a general election. But I think, as Mary says, he knows that fighting an election against Boris Johnson when Labour are 20 points adrift in the Mm -hmm. polls is not going to be easy for the Labour Party. And and talking about the timing of the election, uh, we heard from the former Prime Minister Tony Blair today as well. He suggested that Labour would be ill-advised to participate in a general election until Brexit is solved. And also in recent days, we heard from another former Prime Minister, John Major, who is joining a court case to fight Parliament's suspension. Looking at these two former leaders, how much power or influence do they still have? They are sending a signal, but does it really matter? I think Tony Blair has been pretty much discredited by his record over the Iraq war. And I know that a lot of Labour MPs and activists actually feel that Tony Blair's intervention is counterproductive. John Major, though, is a respected figure. Um, although he himself fought huge battles over Europe and many Eurosceptics, as they were then, that those many of those who are now ardent Brexiteers uh, are no fans of John Major. I think the fact that you have got a former Conservative Prime Minister saying that he will go to court to stop the actions of one of his successors is a real sign of the quite extraordinary political drama which is unfolding at the moment. Mary, during... Sorry, I'm not sure that it's actually going to reflect terribly well on him because I think that John Major has actually um, preserved in some ways his reputation, as Carol suggested, has actually increased massively since he left office. Um, And part of the reason is that he he uses his public platform very sparingly. And so when he comes out and says something, it sounds like voice of wisdom from on high – 
and people listen. But I'm not sure that in the in recent months he's spoken more often, and the idea that he is now putting his name to this court case um, to undermine a sitting prime minister, who, like it or not, has huge popularity outside London and outside particular, sort of, as it would be described, elite quarters. I think this is, I, I think John Major is risking his reputation here and he might have been well advised to take a bit of a back seat on this. Well, what is happening in this country is, is exceptional. Over the weekend, Conservative Minister Michael Gove repeatedly refused to rule out the possibility that the government could ignore any law passed by Parliament to stop a no-deal Brexit. And let's remember, during his campaigning, Boris Johnson him, himself self-promise to restore trust in British democracy. Does it look like he's doing that now? I think that he is being seen as the ultimate disruptor of many of our conventions. You know, in the UK, we don't have a written constitution. There are all kinds of traditions and conventions and the way things have occurred, precedents, all of those are being torn up. But it has to be said they're being torn up on all sides. And I think that what Boris Johnson and his team are doing is looking at the sense of frustration there is in the country, that it is now more than three years since that EU referendum. Um, They will go into what does seem very likely to be a general election fairly soon, uh, saying that they will take Britain beyond this Brexit debate and so they can get on and talk about other things. Now, the UK is going to be negotiating with the EU for months, if not years to come, whatever happens on October the 31st. But I think that message of saying, look, we have been dragged down by institutions that have ganged up to deny the people their say and to deny the people the implementation of the way they voted back in 2016. I think that his team are counting on that being a very powerful argument. I think something broader has happened too. I think ever since the referendum, but especially since Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, we have been looking at the weaknesses of British democracy exposed for all to see. And in particular, this contradiction that there is between a referendum as expressing the will of the people as it's put, even by a small majority, and the parliamentary system, which is first past the post and is quite unrepresentative of the electorate, especially as it currently is, and the contradictions between the referendum system and our parliamentary system, I think cry out for changes in the whole way our politics works. Carol Walker and Mary Dichewski there. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, here is Monaco's Ben Ryland with some of the other stories we have been following today. Thanks, Marcus. Argentina's government has imposed strict currency controls in a bid to stabilise the country's deepening financial crisis. The new restrictions mean that businesses will now have to seek permission from Argentina's central bank to sell pesos, buy foreign currency and to make transfers abroad. Support for Germany's far-right AFD party has surged in elections in the eastern states of Saxony and Brandenburg, but it has not done enough to oust the ruling coalitions there. Stephanie Boltzen from Die Welt told Monocle24 that the result would now force established parties to take them more seriously. 
the AFD constantly in more and more places, uh, whether it's in the federal parliament or in the regional parliaments, becoming the biggest opposition party. Of course, they do in their way, by being the opposition party, influence and determine very much the course of politics. So while they might not be in power, they are uh, very much a force the other parties have to reckon with. Stephanie Bolton. And a student pilot in Australia has been praised for safely landing a light aircraft after his instructor passed out at the controls. Max Sylvester was forced to make a distress call to air traffic control about an hour into his flight before operators in Perth Airport helped him guide the plane to the ground. I'm Ben Ryland. That's your news. Back to you, Marcus. Thanks, Ben. This is Monaco's House View. I am Marcus Hippi, here with Carol Walker and Mary Dijewski. Last month, Italy's populist and popular deputy prime minister Matteo Salvini derailed his right-wing league party's coalition with the broadly leftist five-star movement in the hope that he'd trigger snap elections. He wanted to capitalise on the wave of pro-nationalist sentiment crashing across Europe, but for now it looks like he's been derailed by an unexpected expected coalition between the Five Star Movement and centre-left Democratic Party. Elsewhere in Europe, however, the right continues to grow. As we have heard, the AFD made serious headway in regional elections in Germany over the weekend, while hardline Brexiteers continue to hold the UK hostage. Carol, Salvini's sleep reflects bad politicking more than a lapse in popularity. But do you think there are lessons we can learn from Italy when it comes to keeping fire? right elements away from power. Well, I think what's interesting is that Salvini has been outmaneuvered for the time being. It was fascinating to see Matteo Renzi, who's uh, himself a very senior figure in Italian politics, uh, tweeting after the latest moves to oust Salvini from the ruling coalition. Institutions won, populism nil. Um, But of course, I don't think we've seen the end of this particular match. what you've got is essentially a pretty unstable coalition. Uh, I mean, you've got the Five Star Movement, which tried to position itself as the uh, as populists themselves, as anti-establishment, teaming up with the uh, centre-left Democratic Party. And I think many people look at that as a marriage which many people would have thought was unthinkable only a few months ago. And at, the t- at a time when Salvini is riding high in the polls, getting up to, cl- to close to 40% in the polls, uh, while um, Five Star um, uh, Giuseppe Conte um, is losing popularity. So I think Salvini has been outmaneuvered for the time being, but I think that his popularity means that he may well yet uh, find his way back into power. And I think what you're looking at here is a populist movement that has genuinely shifted Italian popular opinion. I I spent much time in Italy over the years and it seems extraordinary that a country that was once so proud of its involvement in the EU project uh, now has uh, a, a voting public who are prepared to back people who are prepared to turn their backs on Europe to, to defy many of the EU rules on the economy. Let's, let's look at Germany then, what's happening over there. Mary, do you think the latest results from Germany suggest it's more when than if right-wingers will become a potentially policy-making force over there? 
Well, I think the interesting thing from the weekend elections is that it almost underlines um, how relatively local um, the success of the AFD has been, um, that it's still largely restricted in its greatest successes to the former East Germany, um, where morale is, is lower than it is in the former West Germany, and where there is special uh, special considerations there, both demographic and political because of the historical background. Um, so I think in some ways, you know, if we look at um, I'm, I'm not sure that um, what looks like quite an impressive increase in these two lenders that went to vote at the weekend whether that translates across Germany. Now of course you can say, well if it doesn't, if it doesn't translate across Germany in the future um, then that leaves Germany looking politically very divided and the East potentially um, even more resentful um, than it currently is. Um, but I think also, you know, when we look at we look at Germany, special factors, look at Italy, special factors, look at Hungary also, you know, often put in the same bracket, um, that you have really quite um, decided national differences between these different countries. Um, but maybe one thing that you could look at is that where the right or the populist right has gained power one way or another, quite often they find it difficult to keep power. Um, that's happened at a very local level in, in the UK historically, where the British National Party got elected locally and then got voted out. Um, and I think you're also seeing that a bit across Europe, that they find it difficult to keep power, actually to govern. Carol Walker and Mary Dichevsky, thank you very much. In a moment, a new UK government campaign tells the public to get ready for Brexit. You are listening to Monocle's House View. Stay tuned. This is Monocle's House View. I am Marcus Hippie. As the UK may or may not be headed over a hard Brexit precipice, the government has seen fit to unveil a new public information campaign. Its enigmatic message, get ready. Here is Monocle's Augusti Machilari with more. It's time to get ready. At least that's the message behind a new £100 million UK government public information campaign that kicks off today aimed at preparing Brits for a no-deal Brexit. The campaign, which reportedly marks the biggest government advert push since the Second World War, will include billboards, TV adverts and a shiny new website, all pushing the infuriatingly imprecise slogan, Get Ready. Now, this campaign could go either one of two ways. The first option would see the so-called information campaign dressing up a no-deal Brexit as a no-big-deal operation, minimising risk and addressing only the most insipid of concerns. Think questions about driving abroad and queue lengths in airports. So the whole thing would be, in effect, useless. The second option would see the government get serious about warning Brits about how to prepare for real potential consequences, which could include, according to leaked official papers, shortages of medicines, food and fuel, as well as a recession and even civil unrest. But with just eight and a half weeks left until the 31st of October, the current deadline in which the UK is set to leave the European Union, it's hard to fathom how any business or individual could adequately guard against severe damage. 
no matter how much money was spent on billboards. That was Augustin Matulari, and that is all for today's show. Monocle's House View was produced by Augustin and researched by Yolingo fan Naomi Potter. Our studio managers were Bill Lutzi and Maylee Evans. Coming up at 2000 London time, a brand new edition of Monocle on Culture. Monocle's House View is back at the same time tomorrow, that is at 1800 London time. I am Marcus Hippi. Thanks for listening and bye for now.